building your business to 200 grand before quitting your day job. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. It's the entrepreneurial podcast you can actually apply. Awesome story for you today on taking some of the skills that you already have and then going out and intentionally finding buyers for those skills and hopefully a different set of buyers than what your day job may be selling them for. Stick around in this episode to learn the low-cost, high-return marketing tactics that helped Shannon Weinstein build her fractional CFO slash tax strategy service at keepwhatyouearn.com into a full-time income stream while still working that full-time job. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. Excited to be here. You bet. Excited to dive into this. Now, I don't expect you listening to go out and start a business necessarily in the same niche as Shannon but you can apply some of her marketing tactics across a really broad spectrum of different businesses. And to that end, your listener-only bonus for this week is my big list of 101 service business ideas to get your creative juices flowing. Make sure to download that at the show notes for this episode. You'll find the link in the episode description of your podcast app or in the description on YouTube. So I want to start with the uh, moment of giving your two weeks notice at work. What's the boss's reaction? I was especially kind. I gave about four weeks notice because nice. I couldn't wait to tell them I was leaving. And I, I broke the news to my team. They say, what are you going to do? Because that, that's the first question they always ask you, right? Like, so what are you going to do? As though this is the end all be all of careers that you could choose. Like, what are you going to do other than this? And I was like, well, almost literally anything else would make me happier. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and if you're there, I feel you. <laughs> so what happened was I, I told them, by the way, so I'm starting, I'm starting my own business or I'm, I'm going to go do my own business full time. And they're like, well, what type of business are you going to start? Well, I was like, well, I actually have a multi six figure CFO practice and a top 100 entrepreneurship podcast already. And they were like, wait, what? (laughs) They were like, wait a second. What are you talking about? And I said, none of y'all have Googled me over the last two years, luckily. But if you Google me, that is what will come up on LinkedIn, on Facebook. I was super quiet. But on Instagram and on, um, you know, other platforms I was building. So I knew my coworkers were not on these platforms. So I was freely able to build these types of things and I was able to show up and deliver value and teach. And here's the brilliant part though about that is I was showing up and I wasn't like selling a ton on Instagram. I wasn't showing up and selling. I was delivering value over the course of two years with no, you know, I was not starving to sell people something. I just showed up and tried to build an audience. So then when I finally quit the job and I was able to openly talk about my my business and to promote it on all platforms, I was like, hey, by the way, now I got something to sell you guys. So it was super exciting to be able to kind of be open and be out there as a business owner and be proud of it. Okay. So you had a background in finance and tax accounting, but the service that you kind of pivoted or turned around for the side hustle was slightly different, yes? Yes. So I was working in a a legal compliance department that was intentional. So there was no conflict of interest. And I was building my own sort of CPA practice on the side. It eventually evolved into a CFO firm, a fractional CFO business, but I was mostly doing a lot of uh, tax compliance and tax strategy when I started my business. Okay. So tax strategy, tax compliance, virtual CFO services, not necessarily anything revolutionary. There's got to be plenty of competition out there doing that. What gave you the confidence to say, yes, I can do this too. Yes, I can carve out some market share for myself. Oh, absolutely. So, and here's the other thing too. I realized that that was what I was good at. And that even though my whole career had centered around these types of work, I didn't hate the work. I hated how I was being asked to do it. So being in cubicles and working for other people, I knew that I didn't mind doing the work. So if you're in a job right now listening and you're like, well, I don't hate what I do. I just don't like the circumstances around which I'm being asked to do it. You can take what you do at work and turn it into a side hustle too, you know, within reason, of course, conflict of interest stuff and all that. But what really drove it was, you know, finding the confidence to say, yes, I can do this too, because I was seeing other people doing it. So being on Instagram, I saw other people doing it. I saw people who were thriving, doing similar businesses. I had mentors and I had folks to guide me to help me through the kind of those messy mindset things that were getting in the way, you know, imposter syndrome, like who am I to start my own business and really reflecting on what I actually had accomplished instead of focusing on what I had yet to accomplish. Okay. Well, talk me through your first moves from, okay, I think that number one, I can do this. I'm going to get over the imposter syndrome to, 
you know, the, that messy middle before, you know, client number one says, yes, sign me up. I want to pay for this. I wanted to put it out there that I was, I was looking for people to help and that I could solve a problem. I didn't have a formal business or structure or offer around that until enough people had asked for my help and I was able to get the results for them. So I think getting those results were what kind of overcame the imposter syndrome because when you can start actually serving people and helping them and you actually have no immense pressure to do that because you're making your money to pay your mortgage from another income stream, like your full-time job, and you're able to help these people on the side because you are truly passionate about it, then you realize, oh, not only am I passionate about this, but this is something people want and are willing to pay for. This is a really interesting concept. So I realized how much I enjoyed it. I realized that I could get paid to do it. And then I realized, well, I could easily build this by doing this X number of times over the course of the year and make back my salary, no problem. So I, it kind of, the math added up for me, Nick. It was honestly, I mean, I'm an accountant, but <laughs> the math added it up and I said, this is totally doable. Yeah. How did those first customers or clients end up connecting with you or vice versa? Uh, That was through, well, actually social media presence. So that was a big part. So being so present on Instagram and delivering value, teaching and offering some type of insight on current events and trends and things in business was really helpful. Uh, The podcast was also super helpful. And then being a guest on other podcasts, showing up in other communities and offering to coach or offering to do phone calls and to immerse myself in my ideal clients' rooms and being able to answer questions and to see what people were asking, it was insanely valuable because then I could meet people there, network. And then when people needed help with this particular subject matter, like taxes, I was the first person front of mind that they thought of. Okay. Yeah, so there's a three-pronged approach here. There's the you know the personal Instagram presence at Shannon K. Weinstein, over 5,600 followers over there at the time of this recording. There's your own podcast, Keep What You Earn Podcast. And then there's going on other podcasts, this podcast guesting, showcase your expertise. And naturally, since the host has somewhat vetted you, right, there's uh, a credibility that is passed along to listeners and say, well, shoot, I need tax help. I ought to call Shannon. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it probably makes sense to dive into each of these independently. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So Instagram was an early move to start posting educational content on there. Do you have an example of what that might look like in practice for you? Like an actual example of one of my posts? Yeah. What kind of stuff are you sharing? It's like, you know, I think of Instagram as like a, a platform for, you know, nice looking pictures and kind of this curated view of your life. And you're well, I'm teaching tax stuff. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How does that work? Yeah. So over in our corner of tax Instagram, uh, we are teaching all sorts of stuff from what can I deduct? When do I need an LLC? How should I start my business for the first time? Um, do I need a separate business bank account? Who do I need to send 1099 to? What happens if I got a 1099? What does that mean? Answering all of these types of questions through fun, engaging content. So whether that be through a video of me explaining it through the like lip sync pointing and dancing reels that were really popular about a year and a half ago, but now they're kind of getting a little boring. It's just using the medium that is working to deliver the content that you know is needed. So for me, it was just finding answers to questions that were being asked of me in these different containers and communities when I was coaching or when I was just putting it out there in Facebook groups, like, hey, who has tax questions? Or I would search for questions people were asking and then I would answer them through content. So I would just build content like that. I recently did a post that was fun that was, um, do you remember Jeff Foxworthy? He used to do a, you might be a redneck joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you might need a 1099 if, and I started doing it in his rhythm. So that type of stuff is really good because people will listen to it. They'll learn from it. They'll be slightly entertained and they'll go, oh, okay, I get it. And finding a way to articulate, especially dry, boring, bland concepts into something a little more fun is a really good way to get engagement. Okay. Are there any tools that you like to come up with these questions in your niche that people are asking? What I actually do is I go, I spend a lot of time in Facebook groups and in communities and listen a lot to what people are asking. I also put feelers out into my community, but I then store them all in a program called Asana. I actually have a tracking, like a project management board of questions for different types of content pillars that I have. So what questions are people asking and how can I answer them in a creative way? So I always store, it's almost like a bank of questions I've been asked or I've heard before. And I start realizing which ones are repeating the most. And that's what I do a lot of content on or even build online courses based off of and sell on the side. 
Okay, I really like this. And this was from Scott Britton years ago. He had a Udemy business and he's gone on to several different projects since then. He's like, the number one most important file to keep on your computer is this questions database of everything that people are asking of you or the questions that are related to your area of expertise, because that is your future content. Like that's what you can build your product and service around. That's what you can build your content around. And so uh, it's cool to hear, oh, I, I track that stuff in Asana. And I you know, to Scott's credit, I tried to build this in like Google Sheets for, you know, a week or two before it got like really overwhelming, but still uh, lots of different ways to go about that and answer the public. I, th- I want to say Neil Patel bought this recently, but it was like, you know, you can type in your keyword and it'll spit out, you know, a bunch of questions related to that just as starter inspiration to get things going to create those types of content. And this is interesting because I think of Instagram as, you know, very temporal content, if that's the right word, like it's kind of flash in the pan, you know, it's in somebody's feed today, and it's kind of gone tomorrow versus I'm going to create the YouTube video about this. I'm going to create the, you know, definitive blog post to answer this question. It's a blip, a blink, a quick little hit of content. Yeah. Was there intent behind that? Well, this is where I think my audience is. So this is where I'm going to prioritize the time. So what I realized is, and I've I've recently talked about this on my show as well, is that that when it comes to content, when it comes to platforms, like if you're going to show up on social media to try to build a business, especially if you have limited time because you're working a full-time job, you want to go to the most forgiving platform in terms of the time it takes to make something and to put it out there. So if I had started a YouTube channel, Lord, I would have released that thing a year later because I would have been obsessing over, again, accountant, um, I would have been obsessing over the perfection of it and the details and like, this isn't good enough. We need better graphics. We need better this or better that. And it would have also cost a ton of money. Instagram is free. Instagram is totally free and very forgiving. So if you want to take nine seconds, record two or three clips and maybe change your shirt during the clip once to create a new character... Cool. It's really easy to do that. I can create an Instagram post in no time. And now I pay folks to help me with it. But back then when I was first starting, it is one of the most easy platforms to just start posting on and seeing what happens to get feedback. Because what you want to do is take fast action, get feedback, and then figure out when, when you start the YouTube, when you start the podcast, what is the stuff I really should elaborate on for 10 to 15 minutes at a time? Okay. Yes. Low risk, high reward. I've never heard it called that. It's the most, the most forgiving content platform. We had Dickie Bush on the show a couple of summers ago talking about Twitter in a similar vein where he's like, yes. like if I post something and, you know, in the first 15 minutes, like it doesn't get any reaction, it just gets buried by the algorithm, like, and nobody sees it. Right. And so it's like, you know, it's almost this instant feedback loop for the ideas that are, are worth anything. And I thought that was interesting, probably the same here. And mm-hmm. so the benefit to Instagram, my understanding is you can kind of punch above your weight class, you can reach beyond your existing following when your what followers you do have end up sharing that to their stories, to their feed in some way. And then all of a sudden you're getting in front of your audience's audience. Is that still how this is working? So yes, you can by sharing, creating shareable content. So when you make sh- content that is shareable and desire to be shared, it's really easy to become, you know, to grow your, your, uh, following on Instagram. The other thing that it has is another dimension through stories where people can actually get a lens into your life if you use it effectively, where you can start, you know, for example, I am posting in stories every day and I live in Costa Rica currently. So I'm posting stories that are really cool about what we're up to. What are we doing? What am I working on right now? Previews of things that are coming up. You know, I post when I go for my walk, I post, you know, you know, me and my husband, people feel like they're getting to know me and that it's more than just the value-based content, but it's also like, I trust this person. I know Shannon. I know what she's like. I know bits and pieces of her life. And without it being too invasive, people are really getting familiar with me. And I really appreciate that. Do you have a sense of what the following was like in terms of size when the first people started reaching out and saying, Hey, could could you just help me with my tax problems or with my specific business? It wasn't big at all. It was, I I think I started when I first decided I was going to take my Instagram from pictures of food and my dog to posts of like tax strategy stuff. I had about 80 followers no, no kidding. And I think I, it didn't take very long for me to start getting questions about taxes when I started posting about that stuff because hashtags were also a big thing that got you attention. And if you optimize your post a certain way for SEO and for other things, it can really take off. And this actually happened to me recently, Nick. I have a form on my website people fill out to come work with me. And I say, where did you hear about me? 
And you wouldn't believe how many people say, I searched hashtag accountant or I, I, I searched hash, hashtag CFO on Instagram. I literally typed in CFO entrepreneurs on Instagram and you popped up first. And I knew why I did because of how I've used my SEO, but I didn't even realize people were using platforms like this for this purpose. Like, Y'all are searching for your accountants on Instagram. That's kind of cool. That's but, fascinating to me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, I had never considered doing that. Never heard of anybody doing that. And so, as a content creator, okay. So how do I how do I take this new information? Like, is it just putting those in your profile in your posts? What would be uh, the next step? So, if you and those listening don't know that that bold black name of what you are on Instagram. So like it's the I don't even know what it's called cuz I'm not an Instagram expert but the 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 name, right? The name that shows up in bold right under your handle. Not your handle but like the name description. That is what shows up. That's what Google picks up. So your profile will show up in Google search results if it is optimized to show up in the results for that. So that's why, you know, my keep what you earn handle says podcast for entrepreneurs because I guess that's what people are putting into Google. And then mine has CFO for entrepreneurs or something like that for my main profile because people are probably typing that in. And that, that's the type of stuff that shows up in SEO and will show up when you're searching Instagram. It will be part of what's searched. Right. It says CPA, CFO, podcaster. Yes. And now I'm, now I'm looking at mine because I'm pretty sure it just says... Nick Loper. Most people use their name. Most people use their name. And I recommend because of when you, when you're DMing people, now that shows up as your name. So I wouldn't make it super, super cryptic, like podcaster. It's like, who the hell is this? Podcaster DMing me. You could do Nick colon podcast host or side hustle guru or whatever. And it would be a really cool search engine optimized name because you could say Nick colon side hustle support side hustle consultant something like that okay awesome great little instagram tip yes i learned that so quick and i was like oh my god this is so fun like when you learn the little like behind the scenes tricks it was super fun to build the instagram for my business based on those types of things okay so now people are reaching out to you and i mean how do you figure out how to put a price tag on it i guess you have a sense of what your firm is charging being, mm-hmm. you know, big corporate clients for this type of work. But like now it's just, you know, Shannon as an individual, you know, how do I figure out how, what to charge here? It wasn't even like apples and oranges. It was like apples and elephants. Like that is not even a question. I was billing, my company was billing me out at something like eight ninety nine an hour. And I was like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I was billing out much lower because I was working with new startup entrepreneurs. They didn't have a ton of money. So I just kind of based it off of how many people could I work with? And what would I offer them? How much time could I dedicate to that? And my price has just kind of evolved. To be honest with you, it was kind of like a pin the tail on the donkey thing when I first started. And I was like, I don't know, 200 bucks. Like, I don't know, 400 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of just get a feel. You have to pick something and just go, that doesn't feel good. Let's try it again. That doesn't feel good. Let's try again. Until you get to that kind of place where you go, okay, that feels fair. And it will change. It will evolve and it will change all the time. It will, you have to just pick something. It was super hard to price in the initial uh, start of the business. And even coming from an accountant, it's not easy to figure out what your price should be. But you kind of figure it out as you go along based on who you're serving, what value you're delivering, and the types of services you do. What's typical pricing today if you're comfortable sharing? And of course, with the asterisks that this will continue to evolve over time. Yeah. So, so for example, well, number one, tax return prices will vary state by state, no matter where you go. Uh, but I, I generally hover between 500 and a thousand for individual returns and a thousand to 1800 for business returns. That's pretty standard. You can find it cheaper for sure, but that's what we offer because that's what we want to charge to crack open a tax return. But we don't even offer tax preparation services anymore. They're only included in our monthly service. So our monthly service ranges from a thousand to four thousand a month, depending if you're a tax strategy client or a CFO client. And those are great because A, it's recurring revenue for us, but B, it's predictable expenses for the client and they get access to us year round. Okay. And at those rates, it doesn't take that much to replace a day job salary. And you've set it up for recurring revenue too. Yeah, but those really came into play after I quit. So it's it's an evolution for sure. You definitely don't come out the gate charging that, make all the money and quit the job in like three months. This was a two-year evolution. Yeah. All right. Anything else that worked on the Instagram front or is you see working today? 
I would say the biggest thing that also helped me grow was finding people who were doing what I wanted to do on Instagram and finding people who I wanted to emulate. And instead of getting caught in this comparison trap, I grabbed their accounts and said, what are they doing that I like that I can emulate? Maybe not literally, but I could take inspiration from and then use and learn from what they're finding successful. I think we get caught up in comparison and being jealous of other people's growth. But I think you can learn a ton from, hey, they're doing something that's working. I want to figure out what it is. And that was a big piece of how I grew quickly was kind of picking up the breadcrumbs left behind by others. You give an example of a breadcrumb? So for example, um, there were folks who were collaborating on Instagram a lot, like people were growing really quickly. And then I realized it's because they were going live so often and they were bringing people on Instagram lives who had big followings. And then I realized, oh my God, that's so smart. We should, I should, you know, cross contaminate audiences with different people that I know that have bigger followings and see if people will, you know, people who also serve my ideal customer. So business owners, so it might be business coaches, it might be other consultants, marketing experts, and so on that we can collaborate. Okay, a non-competing colleague or something like, hey, you're yeah, complimentary, not competitive. Yep. Okay. Okay, that makes sense, and and really tapping into other people's audience, like who are your target customers already doing business with, and getting in front of audiences that way. I imagine the podcast guesting path is similar. Did you do anything proactive to seek out those guest spots? Yes, definitely. So there were two steps to to finding the right shows and to get results from the shows. Well, number one was researching the shows that I think my ideal client is listening to. So not just going after shows for the sake of being on a podcast, but going, who is listening to this? Who is that person? And what do they need help with? How can I deliver value or give them an aha moment and a takeaway today? And that's a really important part of it, is being selective about which shows you're pitching and knowing that the audience members are the right people for you. And then the other part of it was always sharing something to promote and always having something ready to share that you were doing or up to or a place to point people to, to meet you, to what I call put them on a list that you own as opposed to a list that you rent, which I consider social media. Social media, like Twitter, Instagram, all of it could shut down tomorrow and you've lost all your followers gone. But if you can get them on your email list, if you can get them on a text list, if you can have them engaging with you more often, then they're on a list that you own. You actually have a way to get in touch with these people. So I would try to use those podcast interviews to get people into lead magnets and other things to help me grow my audience. What was a lead magnet that you saw convert well uh, following a guest appearance? Anytime I do a quiz lead magnet. So I've done a, how strong is your cash flow? I've done like, will the escort make sense for you? I've done, oh, I even do a, this is a great one for podcasters. This is kind of like this uh, endless loop of benefit. I did a podcast playlist quiz. So, hey, I have a, you know, crap ton of episodes out there. I I have a ton of episodes and I would love it if you would take this quiz to see which episodes are best for you so you don't have to go search through my library of episodes. And uh, what it does is it creates almost an archetype for the person to say, hey, you sound like an early stage business owner, early stage entrepreneur, just starting your own side hustle. Here are some great episodes from Shannon that might help you right now. And then you get a playlist of 10 or so episodes. So that does two things, puts them on my email list and also... Uh, is able to get people to download the show and get to know me a bit better. I'm totally stealing this. That's great. Do it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> but the 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 playlist is super cool because we can update the playlist generator. So we can update the... If, as we get new episodes, right? We're going to flush in more that go into the playlist that comes out. And then they get a profile of, hey, it sounds like you would like these episodes. So we're getting downloads. We're getting re-engagement with old episodes. We're getting the the guests who we pick to be on that get promoted more. And we're on, the, and they're on the email list, and they're already fans of the show now because they're binging the the ten or so episodes. Exactly. They the more time they spend with you in their earbuds, the deeper that relationship is. What tool are you using to build those playlists? Uh, so the quiz is done through uh, tryinteract.com. And that's a great uh, quiz platform. I have no affiliation, no link or anything, but that that is a really great platform to build on. And it's quite user-friendly for those who are not like super techie. So tryinteract.com. You can generate a lead magnet through a quiz in minutes. And uh, especially if it's really simple. So we just did it. It's really straightforward. And all the person has to do is check off the boxes that say which statements sound like you. And then yeah, yeah, whichever yeah. whichever ones they get the most of, they can get the list. And the list is just a landing page. Yes, I've just started 
uh, testing this on the homepage of Side Hustle Nation, also through Interact. So I do have an affiliate link for it. It's oh, perfect. Interact. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> go go check it out over there. And then so people answer the questions and then it spits back the results. Hey, it sounds like you're this early stage entrepreneur person. Here's, you know, the five or ten recommended episodes for you. And it just like from there it's kind of manual. Like you gotta download number six, number seventeen, number twenty-one. It's direct links to the episodes on their podcast players. Usually, I think we're linking Apple, but they can find it on the other platforms. And then here's the other side benefit of that is now we've also segmented them. So they are now, oh, that's an early stage entrepreneur or, ooh, that's somebody who might be a CFO candidate. That person's trying to scale their business right now. So now I know the go- the main goal of my listeners or my my audience, and I can start talking to them about how they can accomplish that goal and cater content to them. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is there an easy to say URL to reference this podcast playlist quiz right now? We'll, we'll, we'll plug it. We'll link it up for you. Absolutely. No, okay. It's not easy to say because I don't know off the top of my head, but I will get you the link and that'll be in the show notes, I'm sure. All right. We'll link, uh, we'll link that up as an example in, in the show notes for you. So interact to the playlist. I've done some Spotify specific playlists. Hey, you want to learn more about flipping? Hey, you want to learn more about blogging, affiliate marketing? Yeah. You want to learn more about local service businesses, right? Here's a curated playlist for you. And then this is several years ago now, it was like created, actually split out podcasts because at that time, and I don't know that they do now is in Apple podcasts, you didn't have the ability to create those playlists. But so there's like the freelancing mixtape and there's the blogging mixtape that show up actually as separate podcasts in uh, in iTunes or in Apple podcasts, but you got to pay separate hosting for that too. So it was like kind of trade-offs depending on how many listeners you expect from that. But uh, okay. I love that. So that's on the guesting front. So starting with that research and then after you go on the show and you've made your proactive pitch and like, hey, you've covered topics X, Y, Z, but you haven't covered this. This, I think, would be beneficial to your listeners. Having a call to action, right? And this is something that I'm guilty of on most shows. It's uh, like, hey, you know, I'd love if you go check out the podcast. Um, you know, there's there's 500 episodes to choose from. It would be much more compelling if I took your tech like, hey, there's 500 episodes to choose from. I don't expect you to binge on the all on all of them. Hey, go check out the quiz to find out your your curated playlist, your personalized playlist. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's really it's really easy to set up too. So uh, I encourage anyone who has a show or, and honestly too, it's a great lead magnet on any expertise, any topic. So if you have any type of side hustle, you could actually find podcasts that teach and support whatever it is you do. 
and to get people listening to trusted voices in that space and then realize that you were the one who pointed them there. And then that also builds trust. So even if it's not your own content, it's really cool if you can take that and curate something for people and it does add value. Yeah, totally. Like the S-Corp quiz, like, are you ready to incorporate? You know, does this make sense? Is this going to save you money or is it going to be more headache than it's worth? Like, yeah, something like that. Very cool resource. So uh, doing the guest outreach thing and then hosting your own show, Keep What You Earn show. This is a couple years deep into the show and you, I don't know if it was five days a week from the very beginning, but now, now you're like in it. You're a serious podcaster. Yes. I, uh, yeah, I, I definitely made up for lost time. I started in August, 2021. And this past year, 2022 alone, we had over 100,000 downloads. So that was pretty huge. We went into uh, five episodes a week. I think it was July 2022, but we were two episodes a week for all of 2022 up until that point. So we jumped to two episodes a week pretty quickly after one and then went all the way to five, just kind of hit the gas on it uh, at the recommendation of my now chief marketing officer. And I said, okay, we'll try it, but... I'm scared. And she said, it's going to be okay. You're going to make, you're going to make it. I haven't missed a deadline since or really rep, or rep, replicated content. Like there's an endless stream of ideas when you have the container and the space to do a lot of that stuff. So it sounds like, oh my God, I would never have the time to do five episodes a week. This girl's crazy. No, it's actually really, it's amazing. But I go for a walk in the morning and I have three episodes that come out of my brain. You know, like when you're in that flow state, you have these ideas as you're hearing other people talk and you go, I could talk for that about, I could talk about that for 10 minutes. And then you realize that's a whole episode. So it's become a lot easier to create the content when you see opportunities everywhere for these types of things. Well, that's super exciting because by, you know, by all accounts, people would have said 2021, "Ah, it's a little bit late in the podcasting game, but you've proven that wrong. You could still carve out an audience even even at that stage. So I think that's really exciting. And even even today, you're going to say, well, you know, a year from now, it's only going to be more crowded. So you might as well start. Uh, start. No better time than now. And the best next best day is tomorrow. But the, or was it yesterday was the best time, today's the next best, and then tomorrow. But you really you got to start somewhere and it's only going to become more saturated. What do you attribute some of the early growth of the show to? Because it is, I mean, it's still a commitment to get somebody to, find your specific podcast, first find their podcast app, if they even have one, scroll down to your, you know, search for your show, find the specific episode you're talking about, find the time to listen to it. It's a lot of, it's a big ask to get a new listener to give it a chance. Yeah. I, so this is a crazy thing, but, uh, and this goes back to the question bank, a hundred percent. That question bank turned into the, the library of episodes. So it turned into a, if you're really good, by the way, if you're listening to this and you're going, I'm really good with Q and A. Like if someone could just ask me a question, I could answer the question. I go, great. Then you'd make a great podcaster because you could just pretend someone just asked you that question or pay someone to come on and ask you that question <laughs> and then answer it. And it's super helpful because it turned into an FAQ for me. So I actually wasn't, I mean, I, I was definitely subtly hopeful that it would take off, but I said, you know what, in the very least, this is going to be a killer FAQ library because now when people ask me these questions in my DMs or through other types of forums or Facebook groups, I can be like, hey, listen to this. This is going to answer your question the way that you deserve to have it answered. Like a a quick comment on Facebook isn't going to do it justice. Go listen to this for 10 minutes and you'll totally understand it. And that is how it started getting like spread around because people were sharing the episode saying, hey, Shannon had a episode on this and actually sharing my episode for me. So it was a really interesting start of FAQs and then it evolved and, and the guesting too, but that's another thing too, is, is having guests on your show, if you're going to do interview style, that command attention and presence so that we'll share the show and that we'll be actively involved in helping promote it. And we also did a ton of shows up front. So we had a, we had a library of people or that people could listen to. So if you started listening to the show, the first episode that aired, I think the first day we released like 10 episodes. So you could listen to a whole set of them before the next one came out. That way, you know, oh, I like this. They could listen to as many as they wanted to and, and kind of binge it because that's what we're used to now with Netflix and all the streaming services. Right. Don't, don't, don't give me this drip feed business. I want, to, I want it all at once. Um, and so primarily this shorter 10, 11 minute Q&A style episodes answering like a very specific question. Hey, I got a 1099. What am I supposed to do with this? Uh, and then longer form interview content. And that's kind of the mix today. 
Yeah, it, it hovers between 10 minutes an episode to 40 minutes an episode. We're listening to podcasts more often when we're cleaning or at the gym or in the shower or something like that, which are generally lower duration activities. So I said, we're going to keep it under 40 minutes for people. That was the feedback I got when I did a market research. Okay. And you say we, so you have a team that's helping put these together, editing team, like talk to me about who else is is helping on the content production side. Guys, I am an accountant by profession and I do not know how to do any of this podcasting stuff on the tech backend stuff. I am not talented whatsoever in that. I know how to talk into a microphone and download a Zoom file and that is all I do. <laughs> and I'm telling you, if if I didn't have the support to go do that, the podcast wouldn't exist. I told my team, I said, I will do the podcast, but this was the person who did my social media content at the time that also did podcasting. And she wanted to upsell me into her podcast service and launch my show. And I said, well, the only way I'm going to do that is that all I have to do is download a Zoom file. And she's like, that is all you have to do. We will do the rest. So I said, okay. And guys, it's not cheap to do a podcast. It has to have intention, purpose, and strategy. I feel like it has to be... You have to build the business first and then figure out what the podcast fits into it. Or you have to have a really clear intention of what the podcast is out there to accomplish, like what type of audience you want to gather. I feel like, especially starting a podcast now, it has to be, it has to really have a clear intent and purpose of how you're going to promote it and grow it, or else it's really easy to get lost in the mix. What's a typical call to action at the top or the end of of your shows? Oh, it varies. So it could be whatever freebie I have going on. I might have a lead magnet. Uh, right now we're enrolling in an S-Corp success plan program where we're going to implement S-Corporations. So that's a big running one right now. Uh, and then there's a whole lot of share this on social media. That was a big thing that helped grow it too. If people would share it on social media, tag me, give a takeaway, show the screenshot that they were listening to my show. And it was super helpful in just getting the word of mouth around. Okay. Does the Instagram following drive listenership in any meaningful way? It does. So all of my Instagram posts point to, so they actually sync up with the episode. So I will do a piece of content on a certain topic that I also did an episode that day on the certain topic as well. And then the call to action for Instagram is almost always go listen to the full episode of Keep What You Earn to learn more about this. So now it's, I've caught your attention, gotten a quick little snippet fact or satisfied some type of quick craving, right? Now it's, okay, you're still hungry for more. Here's where you can find more and we can link it. And then you can listen to a full episode explaining the details behind it that I can't fit into 15 seconds. Gotcha. Just, you know, creating content that's native to that platform and saying, hey, if you want, if you want the full thing, come on over here. Okay. Exactly. What else do you attribute some of this podcast growth to? Because, you know, if you have relatively few listeners asking them to share on social media, does that really move the needle? But you've been able to post some pretty big download numbers, audience growth numbers. I would say it's it's also continuing to show up as a guest on bigger shows. So it's it's showing up and actually the, you know, when we increased the episode count, that also boosted the download count because naturally per episode, there's gonna be more downloads. I think it it created, I think the more content you can produce consistently, the better anyone will be in business. So if you are just trying to start a side hustle or just growing it right now, the best thing you can do is show up consistently and keep delivering volume of content that's of decent quality. It doesn't have to be perfect, but keep churning out content. And that was one of the ways that we kept doing that. And then part of it too was getting like pitching other shows became easier because I could say, I, I host Keep What You Earn. We've been ranking on Chartable because of the download activity that spiked. And we w- we've been, uh, been able to produce these types of episodes and this is the audience that we're curating and we have a pretty engaged audience because people will mention our show or say that they listen to it. And it's also about how well you can pitch bigger shows to try to get on. But if you can get in front of an audience, again, just like I said, with the Instagram collaboration, if you can get into a bigger audience of your ideal client and tell them where you're hanging out, they'll meet you there. One of the toughest parts about starting and growing your business is figuring out how to build relationships. As you know, people are more likely to buy from and do business with people they know, like, and trust. But when it comes to networking, where do you start? And what if you're more introverted like me? What if you're more wallflower than social butterfly? Well, there's a recent episode of a great podcast called This is Small Business that walks you through how to figure this stuff out. The episode is called How Networking Can Help You Build and Grow Your Business and Inside You'll learn practical tips on how to build business relationships that don't feel so transactional. A couple parts I liked in particular were how to break into those uh, tight little circles at networking events where you're kind of standing around awkwardly on the outside, and then what you should say in a follow-up email to somebody that you meet there. 
This is Small Business answers a ton of these questions that all entrepreneurs have, like how to use social media to grow your business, how to find your ideal price point, how to know when you're ready to launch your product, and tons more. So give it a follow. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. That means whether you're just starting out or your side hustle is already growing like crazy, Squarespace takes all things website-related and makes them easy. I want to highlight a few Squarespace features for you. One I knew about and a couple I didn't. First off, where Squarespace really shines is this huge library of professional website templates. That means you're not starting from scratch because they've got designs for every category and use case that you can customize to fit your unique needs so your business stands out online. That was the thing I knew about. Second one was new to me, and that's their online store functionality. Whether you're selling physical or digital products or a service, Squarespace has got the tools you need to start selling online. And third is their email campaigns. They make it easy to collect email subscribers from your site and drive engagement and sales through Squarespace email campaigns, and you can track the results of every send with built-in analytics. So head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash side hustle to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash side hustle. Are you posting these episodes over to YouTube as well? Yes. So we also have a YouTube channel where you get the video of each episode as well as the audio on the podcast platform. Do those videos do anything? Like I'm, like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going through a, this phase of you know, now recording video for every episode and, and having that for YouTube and also going back through the archives. And even where I don't have video creating a kind of like waveform placeholder video for those, because I'm really bullish on YouTube as a podcast discovery engine, but curious what your experience has been. So it, it creates, it has more digital real estate, right? So the more you can put your content on different platforms, the more likely it is someone's going to find it. So we, we post every episode to YouTube. The, the subscribership is growing slightly and growing a little bit slower, but cause I don't talk about it as much as just go to the podcast, but we're going to be adding a bumper soon that just says, Hey, if you want to like watch this episode, go to YouTube, but we don't, we're going to be heading into YouTube. I think this year going really deeper into like being intentional about the captions and engaging content on YouTube. Okay. All right. So that's really helpful. Like really cool content marketing strategies, starting with the platforms that you own and then bringing back people into your own ecosystem through these varieties of lead magnets and quizzes. And, you know, I I think that's all really cool how you've, you've gone about that. I want to explore the different revenue streams of the business. So you mentioned, you know, the, the bread and butter is kind of these recurring monthly uh, service agreements say we're going to be your outsourced fractional CFO partner, or we're going to be your tax planning, tax strategy partner. And, and so I'm imagining, you know, the, you know, revenue pie chart, a big chunk of it is these services. Are there, are there other things that we ought to know about? That is the majority of it. So that's going to pay the bills, keep the lights on, right? Uh, the recurring revenue sources, which I recommend everyone start with is some type of recurring revenue source to add stability so that you're not constantly selling and having to, you know, get people to buy all the time that they buy once and then, okay, great. That's going to be an income stream every single month. And you can just keep building it. The other things that we do, so we supplement that as well, though, with the keep what you were in brand, which is education, courses, coaching from me. And that's mostly for the early stage entrepreneurs. So we specifically target the CFO services and tech strategy to a little bit more advanced or mature business owners. And we have a very limited number of spots to be in, in, in those services. And then we also have a, um, a more robust kind of through email marketing and through social media presence and through the podcast, we're marketing courses and programs that I'm offering as more of a teacher and as a coach. So that's another uh, core offering of the business that I'm really excited to offer because that's actually really where my passion, if you want to call it that, is, is in teaching. So I'm really excited to to be able to work with so many more people in that way. Okay. If you're comfortable sharing as a as a percentage of that pie chart, what is the, the that course component make up these days? So these days it's relatively new. So it's going to grow this year, but I think I want to say it if we're looking at it, it's kind of like a 45, 45, 10 right now. So it's like CFO tax strategy is about half and half each like, are they equal? Okay. And then I'd say 10 to 15% is the courses, but that we're hoping to grow that into 20 to 30% this year. Okay. Cause that's more leverageable. It's like more one to many versus, you know, 
Yeah, and it's also, I mean, like, I can make money while I sleep, right? That's the whole idea is that that thing, the courses are going to be marketed and they're going to be put out there. And uh, it's a really cool thing because people can engage with my content without it relying on my time and my calendar. So now people can be learning from me 24-7 through these different programs. And it's not just a moneymaker, but it's a great impact builder. Yeah, and it's interesting to start, and, and maybe this is a kind of a, a framework to think about pricing your own services, the like the done-for-you service at the very top, where it's like high-dollar, limited number of clients I can take on realistically. There's the done-with-you, like the coaching, like I'll hold your hand side-by-side, side. and then there's like the DIY version, where it's like, look, I'll give you the educational material and set you free to go out and do it yourself, and like different price points at those and different scale that you're able to achieve with each of those. And I think the accounting model is interesting because it is recurring service in a way where like I'm not likely to switch accountants year after year after year, but yeah. it's kind of that one time, like I pay you every April and I don't really think about it for another 12 months. So you've kind of restructured it in a way, which is really interesting to me. It kind of like, well, at a certain size, like, yeah, I, you know, a finance person or a tax person on the team would make a lot of sense. And it was like, we had a, a recent episode where the guy was selling web design, but instead of selling it as a you know big ticket, one time upfront cost, you're selling it as a recurring monthly service, like lower monthly payment. And it was, you know, kind of a really interesting recurring revenue model to, to flip that script a little bit and say, okay, how can I set this, what was traditionally a, you know, one-off purchase into a recurring revenue business? So I think that's um, good for you for building that. That's really cool. Yeah. I think there's almost any type of business that you can add value cons- consistently. So if even if it's like you see my service as a tax return deliverable, it's like, it's really not. That's just the publishing part. But if you let me co-author it all year with you and change the outcome of the story, that's valuable. Because if you're just having me publish your tax return every year after the year is over, then there's not much I can do to help save you money. But if you have me in your pocket year round, if you're checking out at Target and you've got your credit cards and you're like, shoot, which one should I use? Can I deduct this? Shannon. And then you can text me and you can say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to buy all this stuff. Can I deduct this? Hey, I'm thinking of going to Vegas next weekend. Can I deduct that? You know, it, it's all of these other things that people can ask me on the spot and they're never bothering me because I only have certain number of clients who have this service. So I am available all the time and they can text me on my business line. They can email me, they can Slack me, whatever. And that's what they're, they're paying for is like a parking lot or parking space in my email inbox to ask all this stuff year round. How do you divide the time today between the content production side of things, the Instagram, the podcast, the podcast guesting, kind of like this content marketing channels. And then the, you know, at a certain point, I got to like answer these texts or I got to like deliver the service for the clients. Yeah. My clients are a priority. So it's, I, I, I think of my business like an airplane, like an airline and I go, okay, my first priority is get the first class passengers, their champagne, like get right. Because then they're happy. <laughs> So I have to serve the first class passengers first, then the whatever comfort plus, and then the coach, right? So I look at my business like that and go, that's my priority of customer service is whoever, whatever CFO client needs me right now, I will take care of them. And then I will go to the next year and then the next year. Uh, and my clients appreciate that because they realize what they're paying for there. Okay. Now, as far as how I spend my time, right? So that's always a top priority. I have to, I actually have in my to-do list right here, the three things I have to do every day, only three things. And most of it has to do with a CFO client uh, or something that, that's pressing to help with the client service and move that along. What I do as far as content creation goes, because it sounds like I produce a lot of content and it's like, how are you not a full-time content person and not an accountant? Like, how does this work? It's because Fridays are my like creation day. Like, go create all the stuff you've had ideas about. So Friday for me, which is a very forgiving day in the work week, you know, a lot of people take it off or people are emailing less. I feel like it's a little bit more lax. So I I have a content creation day where I only check my email once in the middle of the day, but I am generally making all the stuff that I had ideas about all week on my walks in the morning or in the afternoon. So I will jot those ideas down in Asana and then I will go and sit down and go make the stuff that I said I was going to make during the course of the week. And what that does is it helps me time block it, dedicate a creative time and keep things focused during the week so I can just finish up my client work on time. And what's it like living in Costa Rica? Are you down there full time? Uh, we split our time between Connecticut and here. Uh, we're here roughly two to three months at a time and we flip between the two. That's so cool. Living that location independent lifestyle and perhaps even some uh, geo arbitrage where I can earn in dollars and 
spend in in colones. Yeah, colones. Like, what's the currency? <laughs> colones. Yeah. Well, that's cool. What's surprised you the most over the last couple of years of you know building this thing and then taking it to be full time? What has surprised me the most is actually being able to quit my job because I thought that was such an unattainable cliff to jump off of. I thought it was a, I thought it was this thing like maybe one day, maybe in the next five to 10 years, I can quit my job. Like it felt so distant and not tangible that it seemed like an idea I was hearing about on social media and it like around and going, Hey, you can just quit your job. And I'm like, I'm not just going to quit my job. (laughs) I'm not just going to go quit and like leave this income stream behind. That is crazy. I have benefits. I have 401k. I have all this stuff. Why would I leave that and take this risk? And then what I realized was, Oh, my job is to lower the risk. And that's what I refocused on. But what I still can't believe is that it actually worked. (laughs) It actually worked. What do you know? Yeah. This stuff is real. Was there a revenue target that you were shooting for before taking that leap? Or what you know, what was it that pushed you and your husband over the edge to say, all right, we're doing this? It was three hundred thousand revenue. And I said, Okay, I made it to like hundred and eighty in twenty twenty one. And that was with a full time job. So I was going, Okay. That's basically 200 depending on the timing of when certain checks cleared. So I was sure, just sure. going, This is this is, you know. This is a thing. I've surpassed my salary in revenue, but I haven't surpassed it in profit. So I went back and said, okay, based on my margins, based on what I have coming up this year, based on what I think I could do, I did a whole cash flow forecast. And this is like any side hustler's like best tool in their toolbox is knowing how to do a cash flow forecast, which is just knowing what cash is coming in, what cash is going out of the household and figuring out what do I need? Like what cash flow is, is my job really providing? And how could I replace that? And when I realized that my cash flow from my business could almost replace or at least get us to a point in, in our household where I was like, wait, around June, I could probably cut the ties with the job. And if I went all in, because I was only doing what 20% of my time in the side hustle, I said, if I went a hundred percent, like not only will I do what I did last year, but I should theoretically 5X this. You know, if I'm spending 100% of my time, theoretically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, I know. And I was like, realistically, okay, let's try double what I was doing if I was really dedicated 100%. So, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to put this cash flow forecast together, make it kind of conservative. And I said, okay, I talked to my husband, Jason, and I said, hey, so I, I can definitely quit before June. But I technically have enough cash flow in my plan for the year that I think I, I think I could quit. I think I could leave now. And I could get a head start on getting to that number. And I actually said, this is a great thing that we decided to. We said, I said, Jason, if by June, this was in January, I said, if by June, I haven't proven that this is on the trajectory to replace my income, if I haven't proven that this is the right decision, if by June, this is not working out, I'll go get another job. It's not the end of the world. It's totally fine. I'll find another cliff. I'll find another right to stay on. I will find another alternative. And I think we just forget how many options we truly have, especially later in our career. It may feel like we're pigeonholed into a position in our career. I'm like, well, if I leave now, it's a huge leap. And I'm like, yes and no. There's so many other cliffs at your level you can hop over to. And it's totally fine. You may feel like it's really up high and like, oh my God, what a big risk. And I go, you are so valuable in the marketplace. So I realized that even if I left... I could find another similar job or I would go back. You know, I don't generally don't want to go back, but I, you know, living in the worst case scenario is not fun. So I said, let's just, let's give it a try. And he said, all right, when's your last day? So having that conversation with my spouse, having that type of plan in place and actually having the numbers to prove it was like imperative in the decision to actually just put the notice in. And having built it to that point is just incredibly empowering where you're like, look, I don't, I don't need this anymore. And just going into work every day with that mentality for me anyways, like that was, you know, that was a very, I don't know. I, I don't know if it made me a better worker, but it made me a happier worker. I'd be like, ah, oh this my gosh. Go well. like I just yeah. feel so much, just felt more, so much more independent, even though I was still, uh, still working, still trying to do well and still trying to cash that paycheck. But like, okay, I had built this thing on the side where, you know, if, when it was time to go, you know, I was able to make that leap. And then, to your point too, like, oh, if I have an extra 40, 50 hours a week to dedicate to this, I'm confident I can, you know, continue to to grow it. It's not likely to go to zero. What's my realistic worst case scenario? Okay, I go get another job. Absolutely. 
And you know the you know the the true irony of that whole situation. I didn't tell you this before, but the true irony was I got an award for performance that year when I really stopped kind of giving a you know what. I I really when I started to kind of what they call it the quiet quitting or whatever. But when I there's a word for it now, but I just use it as the I'm going to do what I have to do to get my paycheck, and I'm not going to try especially hard, and I'm also not going to try to advance my career. I'm not going to push really hard and use all my energy and strength over here. I'm going to use it over here to build the business. So I said, I'm going to do what I have to do to get by, and I did a great job anyway because I don't operate at less than 100%. I'm just not wired that way. So I did a great job in my job, and then I went and built... I really pushed to build the business. But once I took the foot off the gas pedal in my career and I said, I realized I was going nowhere, so I stopped pushing so hard... That was when I got the most recognition in my career for doing an excellent job because they realized I was showing up as a leader because I wasn't stressed out, because I wasn't freaking out over little things. I wasn't sweating the small stuff. I was showing up as a team member and a coach for my team because I knew that like, it's kind of that when you know you're going to leave, you're like, hey, I love you guys. This is great. I have (laughs) nothing to hide about sharing feelings or opinions or anything. I was just, I, ha- I held nothing back. And they were like, "We, re- you're such a go-getter, Shannon. You're doing such a great job here. And I'm like, who knew it was the prospect of leaving <laughs> that really made me elevate in my career? It's just such a really weird irony. It really is. Um, but you're, you're not the only person to share that. So I, I think that is kind of telling. Like, okay, once once that burden of performance is gone, like it actually it actually elevates you. So absolutely. Well, what's next? What's next for the, for the podcast, for the business? Where do you want to take this thing? This year, we're going in on a couple of things. One is offering a much more robust course library for all entrepreneurs of all stages, you know, going from cash flow to how to scale your business to how to craft your offers, um, and all of these different strategy elements from what my CFO clients have been hearing and the advice I've been giving them. You're going to get that in your pocket in some of these courses. And then also, I am going to be doing more keynotes. So I'm going to be doing speaking engagements coming up for certain events and I'm going to be showing up with frameworks and other things that I can teach live on a stage or virtually. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, very cool. Check out the Keep What You Earn podcast. You can find all about Shannon over there. Instagram is Shannon K. Weinstein. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I would say trust your gut and build trust with your audience. Make sure that you're showing up as an expert and that you're being authentic and building trust with everyone who interacts with you. Very good. There you have it. Trust your gut. I have just a couple notes, takeaways that uh, I jotted down during this call. Uh, the first one was this Q&A style of content, right? This is kind of your your endless stream of, of content to create that establishes your credibility and expertise as the authority. So creating that database, whether it's in Asana, whether it's in Google Drive, whether it's just like a notes app on your phone and you know cross it off once you've created that thing, it's added to your library there. This idea of serving first, coming out with educational content rather than, hey, buy my thing. Hey, you know, it's a thousand bucks a month. Hey, come sign up. Um, and then the really creative way to set yourself up for recurring revenue. Again, doesn't have to be a tax business, doesn't have to be a fractional CFO business, but whatever your business that you're going into is like, what what's the little creative twist on it where you could solve a recurring problem for recurring revenue? But uh, again, Shannon, I really appreciate you joining me. Your listener-only bonus this week is that big list of 101 service business ideas to get those creative juices flowing. I think you'll be able to apply some of Shannon's same uh, marketing ideas and tactics too. Make sure to download that in the show notes for this episode. Just follow the link in the episode description of your podcast app. Big thanks to Shannon for sharing her insight. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, the greatest compliment is to share it with a friend. Text a friend, hey, you ought to check this out. Help spread the word. That's all I ask. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Is there a more dreaded question than what's for dinner? Meal planning and eating well to hit your nutrition goals doesn't have to be complicated. Our sponsor, Factor, makes it easy by sending delicious, ready-to-eat, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door. Every week, you've got over 35 different menu options to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, 
vegan and veggie options, and more. Some personal favorites of ours so far have been the garlic mushroom chicken thighs and the Indian butter tofu. These are restaurant quality meals ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. It's the perfect easy button solution for busy side hustlers and couples. And it's not just dinner either. Factor has nutrient-packed snacks, smoothies, breakfasts, and more. And hey, plans change, which is why you can scale up or down your meals or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash sidehustle50 and use code sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. That's code sidehustle50 at factormeals.com slash sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. Big thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show.